my background's not overwhelming. That's good. Morning, Fernando. Good, good. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? That good, huh? <laughs> I'm underwhelmed. That's one of those words, overwhelmed and underwhelmed. Have you ever heard anybody that was just whelmed? Okay, we're into chapter eight. Um, the temple has been rebuilt. It was in the sixth year of um, Darius that it was rebuilt. And now we're into the next Artaxerxes after Darius. So we've, we've, I think this is Artaxerxes II that got things started. So he sent people back. He said, anybody wants to go back, we'll go, be able to go back. So that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today is when Ezra comes back to Jerusalem. Not back to, he, when he comes to Jerusalem. He's never been there. Which is kind of interesting because the book of Ezra doesn't talk about Ezra until chapter 8. He doesn't even enter the picture until chapter 8. Up until then, it's Zerubbabel, mostly. Okay. So, it is on. There we go. It is slow this morning. Okay. Bunch of families. <laughs> these are all the people who came back. Now, these are the heads of the father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, the son of Phinehas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithmar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Sakaniah, who was one of the sons of Perosh, Zechariah, and with him 150 males who were in the genealogical list, of the sons of Pethim, Moab, Eliahoniah, the son of Zerahai, and 200 males with him, of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and 300 males with him, and of the sons of Adon, and Bed, the sons of Jonathan, and 50 males with him, and it keeps going. And of the sons of Elam, Jehaiah, the son of Athaliah, and 70 males with him, and of the sons of Sheftatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and 80 males with him, of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehael, and 218 males with him, and of the sons of Benai, Shelamith, the son of jo Josephiah, and 160 males with him, and of the sons of Babai, Zechariah, the son of Bibiah, and 28 males with him, and of the sons of Azgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and 110 males with him, and of the sons of Adionikim. The last ones, these being their names, Eliphet, Jul, and Shemaniah, and 60 males with them, and of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zubad, and 70 males with them. So, how big a group do you think it was? Big. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Twelve verses of pronouncing names that we really don't use most of them in our society anymore. 
But it, if, you, if you talk about it what, did it, what did it only enumerate in the list? Mass. The wives and the kids went with them too. So what we're talking about is probably a few thousand people. This is a big group that's going with Ezra. Okay, you got a big group like that. What's some of the benefits? What's some of the drawbacks? Huh? Safety. Safety. Safety is kind of a benefit. You got a couple thousand people. You got a band of bandits. You're probably not going to get attacked. What's a drawback? Huh? The what? Oh, supplies. Yeah. You got a you got a traveling peop, set of people, and you got to feed them. You put a couple thousand people together, are they all going to just work together and happy and everything? There's going to be squabbles. You're going to have to take care of that. Do you ever try and get a large number of people moving all in the same direction? It ain't easy. Okay, so this is a big challenge. Why are they listing all these names? What were the Jews big on? From from standpoint of care, of uh, genealogy, that was a big thing. Who came from who came from who? And if you could trace your back to who? Who do you all want to be traced back to? Abraham. Okay, you had to show that lineage all the way back to Abraham to say, I'm not a converted Jew. I'm a Jew that's been a Jew since Abraham became a Jew, since God picked him. Another reason is, is you can kind of see where there's some lineage there. Here it is in Luke. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as opposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mephat, I got more of these names to, to pronounce, the son of Levi, the son of Mel Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Helshi, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Matthias, the son of Simon, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Reshia, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheol, the son of Neri. Any of those names kind of pop out at you? Two of those were the people that came back that are listed. One of them was listed. Jonan was listed in the list that came back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And I mentioned Zerubbabel when we started. Zerubbabel has been the one who's been there all along to rebuild the temple, hadn't he? That's what we've been talking about in verse chapters 1 through 7. It's always talking about Zerubbabel. But a little different view, after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shalil, Shaltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abahud. And Abahud, the father of Elikim. And Elikim, the father of Azor. And Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim was the father of Elud. 
And Elad was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar was the father of Matan, and Matan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So a different view is in Matthew. Why are they different? That's the lineage of, of Joseph. The father Matthew is the lineage of Joseph. To be, uh, Christ was supposed to be from the, the, also the lineage of the, of the Levites because he was a priest. And uh, he, he was described as being a, a, a priest and a king. And so this is the, this is the priestly the priestly side. side. And the other side, Mary, was the, the Judah, the, the, Judah Jews, side. The, the king side. And I ask this next one. What's the driver for the two perspectives? Matthew describes it from Joseph's standpoint. Luke describes it from Mary's standpoint. Why the two perspectives? Who was Matthew writing to in the gospel that he wrote? The Jews. What was important to the Jew as far as lineage? The father. The, the father. father. Remember, we started out this chapter, and all it did was talk about the men. So the only thing that the Jew is focused on is, what's the lineage to the man? What was Luke's profession? He's a doctor. Okay. When he knew what the gospel was, he said, okay, Mary is the biological father of Christ. A biological, I'm sorry, mother of Christ. Who is the biological father? God. So from his standpoint as a doctor, he said, well, I'm going to do the lineage, but the lineage has to be from Mary. And so that's why there's a difference between the two. Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. And when I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. So I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalam, leading men, and for Jehorib and Elnathan, Teachers, I sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place of Casphia, and I told them what to say to Edo and his brothers, the temple servants at the place Casphia, that is, to bring ministers to us for the house of our God. So, what did Ezra know, notice they were missing? The Levites, okay? Why is that a big deal? That's the the what? The priests, yeah. Okay, why are they going to Jerusalem? Because the temple's been rebuilt, so they need, now, now that it's re rebuilt, what does it need? Needs all the priests. Needs everybody who can run the temple. So where have we heard of Ido before? He was somebody's dad, who we just studied recently. 
Iddo was Zechariah's dad. So in, in the book of uh, Zechariah, it's Zechariah, the son of Iddo. So Iddo was the son, I mean, so Zechariah was the son of Iddo. Let's look a little bit at where they're at as far as um, real estate. Empties into Ahaba. Ahaba, this is the big map, so it kind of gives you the big idea. This area here, that's Iraq. This area over here, we're getting into Syria. You get a little bit north there, you get into Turkey. And then you come down here, you go through Jordan, and you get into Israel. Okay, so that's kind of our common today's map as far as how things are. They're up here. And if you can see this map right here, Babylon's right about here. And I got the, the larger map here. You see this right here. This is the Euphrates River. So they're falling up against the, uh, the riverbank. Why would they do that? You get food, you get water. It's right there by it. It's going to be fairly level. Okay, you're going to have a couple thousand people. You're going to have a pretty good way. You can't have a narrow little path. They've got to have a broad path for them to go on. Which way did Ezra and the exiles go? Why? I just talked about it, didn't I? It was, it was the easiest way to go if there was an easy way. What would be the hard way? Through the mountains. That'd be tough. So looking at it, the other, the other town that was mentioned, and it's, called, it's got two names. Over here, it's Hamath, but uh, Casaphia is over here. So it's, a, it's, it's strictly to the west of where they're at. And he sends those men out to go to Edo to say, Edo, I need, I need people who can take care of the temple. I need priests. I don't have any Levites. And I've got to have Levites if we're going to run the temple. Okay, so, so they're going this away. Jerusalem's down here. What's in the middle there? Desert and mountains. Lots of mountains. Very mountainous terrain as you get into this particular hilly. Is it on the way to Jerusalem? Is Casaphia on the way to Jerusalem? Kinda, depending on how they go, right? Which kind of takes us to this map. They came up from Babylon, which is right here, and they went on this orange route to go to Jerusalem. Like I said, the reason is you've got all these mountains and everything like that, and they're going to take the best path. Now, Casaphia is up over here. It's, yeah, Hamath and Casaphia is the same place. It's just the newer name is, is Hamath. So he sent people up to there to bring back the Levites. So that kind of gives you an idea of what it looks like from a geographic standpoint. You've got a couple thousand people. They're going to go up. They're going to go a couple of thousand miles to get to Jerusalem. Well, they're, yeah, they're going to follow the river all the way up until they get about to here. And then eventually they've got to turn west, and then eventually they've got to turn south to get to Jerusalem. So that's kind of using an idea of what it looks like. I know for me, when I see all these names, I go, I don't know where these places are. So it helps me understand what they're doing. This is a big deal. This is a big trip. So... According to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of the insights of the sons of Mahal, Mahali, Mali, the sons of Levi, the son of Israel, namely 
Sherebiah and his sons, brothers, men, and Hashabiah and Jeshiah and the sons of Merai and his, and his brothers and their sons and 20 men and 220 of the temple servants whom David and the princes had given for the service of the Levites, all of them designated by name. So how well did Ido do, or Ido do in responding to Ezra's request? He didn't send a few priests, he sent several hundred people. He sent a big, big group. Why do you think it was an overwhelming response? They're going back to the temple. Remember the prophecy of Zechariah? Build this temple, son of Edo? Well, Edo says the temple's been built. And he asked me to furnish all the Levites. You can understand Edo is going to be very enthusiastic about supporting this because there hasn't been any temple worship in probably 200 years. The only worship they've done is how? Where did they do any sacrificing so far up until the time the temple was rebuilt? On, on, the, on the foundation. Yeah. Which isn't the temple? Then I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and our possessions. For I was ashamed to request from the king troops and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way. Because we had said to the king, the hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger is against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought of God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. What did Ezra do that showed his faith? And everybody that went with him. He was trusting the Lord. Was it a little shaky? Was he tempted to ask Artaxerxes to say, give me an escort? Yeah, for safety. Bandits were a big deal. Some of them could be significant. What was the other thing that, pre that prevented him from asking Artaxerxes? Yeah, he's embarrassed to ask. He said, our God's going to protect us. And, he, and with the king, that's a big deal. You know, if you've said something to the king and then you come back and say something differently, that's not well received by these kings. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests. Sure, I should let you have this chapter, Doug. Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and with them 10 brothers. And I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the utensils, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel present there had offered. Thus I weighed in their hand 650 talents of silver, and silver utensils worth 100 talents, and 100 gold talents, and 20 gold bowls worth 1,000 derricks, and two utensils of fine shiny bronze, precious as gold. So why did he weigh out all the silver and gold to the priests? 
Yeah, it was going to be his, but they were. Who was going to be handling all these things when they got to Jerusalem? The priests. Okay, so they were responsible for it. Why did he weigh it out, though? Why didn't he just say, here, go, go pick it up, put it in your stuff? Ezra didn't know any of them. You could have had somebody in there that was kind of like Judas in the Twelve. Sticky fingers. So, in our economy, how much do you think that gold and silver is worth? Don't say a whole lot. Give me a number. Ten million. You're in the right direction. What's a, what's a talent? It's not doing the soft shoe in front of everybody. To the dollar. Ta that's a talent. A day's wage. A day's wage. Okay, let's look at a talent. A talent is a weight, a unit of weight measurement. And a talent, a single talent, weighs 75 pounds. That's a lot. 750 talents of silver weighs 56,000 pounds, a little bit over that, or 900,000 ounces. How do we price silver and gold? By the ounce. Silver is at 27.50 an ounce, 900 ounces is $24,750,000 of just silver. 100 talents of gold weighs 750 pounds or 12,000 ounces. Gold today, a little, little bit under $1,800 an ounce. That's another $21,372,000. Derek. A derek is a unit of measure in Persian, in Persian society. It's about half gold, about half silver. If you take and do all the math on that one, I kind of showed it here, it's another half a million dollars. So the grand total is $46,671,795. And the weight is about 57,000 pounds. There's several hundred guys that have to split up that much weight and take it with them all the way from where they're at to Jerusalem. And it's worth almost $47 million. That's a tough job, isn't it? You, you know, it's, it's not a lot of people that are going to be handling this because it's just the priests. It's just the Levites that are handling it, not the whole group. Huh? Did they use animals to carry that? I don't know how they, how they were carrying it, whether they had a cart or whether they had, what, what, they had animals, they had livestock because they had to eat something on the way there. Yeah, but you're talking about a huge amount of weight to go lugging from where they're at to get it all the way down to Jerusalem. So it kind of gives you an idea of, you've got several thousand people that are coming out of exile. You've got 50, almost 57,000 pounds of gold to silver to go through some area where there's some really bad people. You can see where God is with him on this trip. Then I said to them, you are holy to the Lord and the utensils are holy. And the silver and the gold are freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priests and the Levites and the heads of the fathers of the households of Israel and Jerusalem, in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites accepted the weighed out silver 
and gold and utensils to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. So how did he know how much was placed in their hands? He weighed it. He knew how much weight there was. And you know somebody recorded that. But as I mentioned, this is like 56, 57 thousand. If there's about 300 priests, and they don't have carts, they don't have, however they're getting it, that amounts to each person is going to have to manage probably about 180,000 pounds of gold and silver themselves to get it there. Can you imagine if you were responsible for that? You had to find some way to get it there, and that's quite a bit of weight when you're talking about making, I don't know, 10, 15 miles a day, and you're walking. You're walking the whole way. What were they supposed to do with the gold and silver? Somebody said something, I heard it. One said something. Take care of it? Take it to the temple, but it was their job now. He passed on responsibility for watching the gold and silver taking care of it, making sure none of it got lost, it's the priest, right? Ezra said, I pushed it off. My, it's not my responsibility for you to watch that. It's yours. Watch it. Make sure it gets there. Make sure it all gets there. Don't lose any of it. So he, he passed it off to them, and they're supposed to manage that and make sure they, they get there. They don't steal anything. Nobody else steals it. It stays safe. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava. So all this is going on as far as the planning from Ahava, which was just a little bit north of Babylon, if you remember on the map. So they're still at the beginning of their journey. On the 12th of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was over us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy in the ambushes by the way. Thus we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. So you've got the trip, and this trip took months. You had said how long it took, I think, in a previous class, Doug, didn't you? Four months to go that, that distance, which I think I did the math on it. It was like eight or nine miles a day. So you can see with this large group, you're not going to get very far. But you can see it's a, it's a, if, if it's a it's well-traveled route, it's going to have a lot of people who like to ambush. Everybody like that, but God protected them all the way there. And that's a long ways to go when you're walking around with $56 million in gold and silver. So how did the trip go? Don't say pretty good. Did they get ambushed? Did they get robbed? No, none of that stuff. None of that happened to him. He got several thousand people. Nobody got picked off. So how do you think that affected their faith? Yeah. You know, when they put their faith in God, but Ezra was a little bit, well, maybe I ought to, maybe I ought not ask for an escort, right? They didn't have an escort. Was it, would it have been normal for an escort to be traveling along with $56 million in gold and silver? 
You betcha. Okay. This was very unusual for that day and time because it was, it was we call it the Wild West, but it was rough. So God protected them all the way there. The four months that they went there, they didn't have to worry. You imagine how much that was a faith builder for those people who came out of exile? You know, I, I, I understand it was a faith builder, but uh, I was wondering if, uh, if they didn't have an escort, probably the thieves and all the people that were, you know, criminal. They said, there's nothing there. They don't got no escort. If probably with an escort, they would have shown also that they had money. These decrees were pretty open. Yeah, they knew everybody. I don't, you, you got a couple thousand people. You think they're going to keep their mouth shut? I, I don't think they. I don't think they know how to. So it wasn't a secret mission where it was just a few people. This was, like I said, several thousand people, and these were exiles. Remember, these are the exiles that said, "We want to go back." Artaxerxes said, "Anybody." who's in Babylon, but anybody in the kingdom that wants to go back to Jerusalem, you can go. And we'll send you back with gold and silver. You can kind of see God there, because were the Persian kings known for their, their compassion and their mercy? No. They were not known for compassion and mercy. You can see God's hand. On the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the utensils were weighed out in the house of our God into the hand of Mermoth, the son of Uriah, the priest, and with him Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Nodiah, the son of Benai. Everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. So they weighed it when they left. When they were getting ready to leave, they weighed it. And when they got there, they weighed it again. How much do you think it matched? Probably the only difference was in the scales they were using. It's probably a match. Why did they wait till the fourth day? Remember, they were the three days. Why do you think they were there three days? And... Well, that's the guy who just got on a journey for four days in a van. What was it like when you finally got back home? It's, uh, you're, you're exhausted. You're exhausted. And this is a big job to count back in, 57,000 pounds of gold coins and spoons and whatever. Yeah, this isn't a 15-minute, this isn't like us counting the contribution when we used to count it in the back. This is going to take a long time to weigh all this stuff in. 56,000 pounds, $46 million worth of gold and silver, and they've got to count it all out. And they're going to go through and, and do the tally. So they've got to do, okay, Jehoadiah, you've got 180 pounds, and this is the split, and then they're going to weigh it. And they're going to go through this process with every single priest and Levite they gave it to. It's going to take a while. They wanted to rest. The exiles who had come from captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs. The male goats for a sin offering, all as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors in the provinces beyond the river 
and it supported the people in the house of God. Why did they offer sacrifices? I got time this morning. I got 10 minutes. I can wait. It's a sin offering, okay? And it was probably an offering to thank God in addition to the sin offering to say, you delivered us and we're still alive. Nobody attacked us and everything like that. So you can kind of see, this is a big deal. This is, you know, the temple, like I said, was finished in the sixth year of Darius. And Darius probably had another, what, eight or nine years, Doug? Yeah, something like that. And then now you've got Artaxerxes who sent them down there. This is really kind of the big temple opening. This has now got Levite priests. They've got all the utensils. Because up until this point, I think Zerubbabel took some of them there, but not 56,000 pounds worth of gold and silver. So this is a big, big reopening, reestablishment of Jerusalem as Jerusalem to worship God. So this is a big, big event for the Jews. The edicts from King Artaxerxes, they were given to the people in the provinces around them. Remember, there's the governor for, the, um, for all the area in the province uh, south of the Euphrates, which would be this region, okay? So, what do you think they thought of those? Because you read this here, it seems like it's all rainbows and unicorns, okay? Oh, the people just helped them and everything like that. But how do you think they received this thing? How had the people been so far that were in and around Jerusalem as far as the people rebuilding? The people that were there. They were hostile. The last time, which is on the first Artaxerxes, which is before the Darius we're talking about, they had gone in there with a, a small army and stopped them from building. So they'd been picking at them all the way through. Matter of fact, the last time they picked at them was underneath Darius, the Darius that said, oh, wait a minute now, I found this thing from Cyrus. Okay, it was back in, in, uh, in, in another area, it wasn't in Babylon, I figure what the name of the city was, but it was another city. And he found Cyrus's original decree that said, they're gonna go down there and everybody's gonna support him. So Darius sent this, the, the edicts that he sent down and Artaxerxes sent down reinforcing edicts that says, guess what? You guys in the surrounding area, you're going to help pay for it. And you're going to leave them alone. You're going to let them do what they need to do. Can you kind of see God in that? In this whole thing? They're coming out of a captivity, but it's been a long time since some of those people have left captivity. Matter of fact, it's been a longer time since they were in captivity than they were in captivity. How long were they in captivity in Babylon? How many years? How many? 70. 70 years. And it's been over 100 years since they were out of captivity, so to speak, in Babylon. Um, that's coincidental with who? Like I said, I had time. I can ask these questions. See if you remember what we talked about when we talked about the book of Daniel. We've gone to, now we're into Ezra. 
Who was the one who kind of changed everything? God changed everything, didn't he? He said they were going to be in there 70 years. And there was a change in empires while they were in captivity. We went from the Babylonian Empire, which was great under Nebuchadnezzar, and then we transitioned to another empire. What empire is that? Persian Empire. Okay. And the one who did that was Cyrus the Great. And it was co, remember it was a co, co-managed, co, co-led one? It was Cyrus, who was a Persian, and it was Darius, who was the Mede. It was the Persian Median, Median Empire. It, you kind of see history that was written and prophecy that was given unveiling itself. You're going to see all that going on as we talk more about what we have in Ezra and in Nehemiah. And then you see the, the, the change in the empires that are going on until the ultimate empire is established, the one that lives forever, right? Remember we talked about that in Daniel? We talked about the Babylon Empire first. You had the statue. Go back a little bit of history. You had the statue. The statue had a gold head. Well, who was a gold head? Excuse me? The Babylonians, the Babylonian Empire. Then you had the silver chest, kind of the thorax and everything. Who was that? It's Persians. It's Persian Empire. Then you have the bronze of the, the hips and probably the lower torso and all that. Who was, who was bronze? The Greeks. And then you have finally the iron, the legs of iron, and then the iron mixed with toes. Who was that? Romans. And what was the fifth empire? What was the big stone that smashed the, bab- the, uh, the statue? Christ's empire. Christ's kingdom. The eternal kingdom. Okay? And you're seeing what you have in Daniel rolling out through these different books that we have. And we're going to have a big jump from, what is it, Doug? Nehemiah, then we have Malachi, and then we have like three, four hundred years where we don't have much discussion about anything. And then you jump into the New Testament. But you can kind of see history is revealing itself. It was prophesied in the book of Daniel. And you see it happening, God's hand, all the way through this to keep his line so that his son would come through the promise to who? Abraham. Remember he made three promises to Abraham? First promise was, you'll have as many children as there are sand by the sea, as there are stars in the heaven. Second one, see that land, land of Canaan? It's going to be all yours. So two are down. One's left. Through your seed, all mankind will be blessed. And that's what this is all working towards. Questions? Comments? Thank you. Done a little early.